0: Welcome to the Surviving Trauma Stories of Hope podcast. I am happy to welcome the beautiful and inspirational Jocelyn J. Jones to the podcast this week. Jocelyn is an author, a speaker, and an entrepreneur. She received her bachelor's degree from the University of Iowa in journalism. And after receiving her degree, Jocelyn worked for Channel 20 WYCC. She left the television industry to work at the Ark of San Sabina, where she served for 11 years eight of which were in the role of executive director. While working at the ARC, Jocelyn earned her master's degree at the University of Chicago in social work. After accepting her call to ministry, she went on to complete her master's degree in theological studies from a Cormac Theological Seminary. Jocelyn is an ordained minister and the founder of Faith on the Journey, a company committed to showing the world that God's word has the power to heal. She is the author of the book, Breaking the Power of the Mask, and a training facilitator with the Trauma Healing Institute. In this podcast episode, we talk about how to help traumatized communities, how to keep the faith, how to release dark emotions by practicing forgiveness, and how her organization, Faith on the Journey, helps churches and lay leaders become more trauma-informed. It was an honor to have Jocelyn on the podcast, and I had such a great time with her. Thank you to my listeners for joining me on this journey. Also head over to amazon.com and Takealot.com and get your copy of my book, Ray of Light, and please leave me a rating and review. It would mean the world to me. As always, stay tuned and keep listening. Hello, Jocelyn. Welcome to the podcast. It's so nice to have you here. How are you doing? I'm wonderful, Marlene. Thank you for having
1: me on the show today.
0: It's my pleasure. I am such a fan of the work that you do. So I am really, really happy that today you have come to share some of your wisdom with me and the listeners.
1: Thank you. We're in this work together.
0: Why don't you kick us off and just give us a little bit of background Sure. So
1: I grew up in a suburb outside of Chicago, and I went away to school uh, to study journalism and was excited to start a career in TV. But eventually, I felt God nudging me to work in the community. And I joined a church on the south side of Chicago, and I was so involved there that they invited me to work there at their youth center in the violence prevention department. And I loved teens and, and young adults. So this was the perfect opportunity for me. And so I decided to, you know, start a youth council, get involved there with the youth, get them active in ways to prevent violence. But violence was so, so tough and and, and real on the south side of Chicago where I worked. And so sadly some of the young people who we served there, their lives were snatched away by gun violence. And that was one of the major causes of trauma in my life. And I saw how it was affecting other people as well, in terms of the fear of your life being taken away to a bullet. And so that really was a seed planted in my life to say I wanted to do something to address trauma.
0: Now, I read somewhere that at that center where you worked, you had this conversation with a girl. If I think about it, if you grow up in a a community where gun violence is an everyday event, you become desensitized to it. So tell us about that conversation and what was surprising for you about that?
1: Yeah, I remember that like yesterday, I was connecting with one of our uh, young adults. She was a teenager still. She was at our youth center, very involved, and she lost a friend to gun violence probably the week before. And I was asking her, I'm like, okay, well, how are you doing with all this? I'm so sorry about your loss. And and I noticed she looked numb. It was like as if she was not phased. And and I, I told her, I'm like, you know, it's okay for you to cry. And she said, Miss Jocelyn, if I cried every time I lost someone to gun violence, I'd be crying all the time. I have no more tears left to give. And in that moment, that really wrecked me. I said to myself, my God, when has gun violence become normal? When in fact, that can never be normal. But for these young adults and youth and people who live in certain communities, it is something that happens all the time. And as you said, because of the fact that this is something that's happened regularly, it's a a trauma response to become numb to things that are happening.
0: Hmm. So then, my question is: How within a community do we even start to address something like this? Because this is traumatic experience on a larger scale.
1: Yeah, it, that's a layered question, Marlene. Because mm. there's there's no one way to address this. I think for that young woman who I was speaking of just a moment ago, one of the things I try to do for her is to encourage her to use her voice in her life, to try to fight against what is happening in our community. I think one thing that we must do when we're in situations like that is to not just turn a blind eye to it, pretend that it's not happening, or just say, oh, well, this is how it's going to be, because then things will never change. But one thing that I've learned in working in this field, not only with youth, but parents who've lost their children to gun violence, is that you can actually leverage your anger around the violence that's taken place and say, you know what, I'm going to fight against this. We're going to create programs to make a difference in our community. We're going to work with young people to give them jobs, to give them other opportunities so they don't have to pick up a gun. We're going to provide them with counseling and and mentoring and services to support their their transformation in this process. Because some of the young people, they're, they're molded into this life of gangs and, and violence at such a young age. And so if you don't intervene early, this perpetual cycle of trauma is gonna continue. And so I think one of the things that we really focused on doing was breaking the cycle by getting people involved, letting them know that they matter and they can make a difference if we work together. And I also think that it's important to create space for communal lament. That's one thing that I talk a lot about in my ministry Mm-hmm. is the fact that we do need to mourn together these losses. When a mother loses a child or a father loses a child, we lost a child in our community. And not just saying, oh, well, so sorry for them. No, no, let's be there and, and mourn with them, right? And so I yes. think creating those spaces where we acknowledge the trauma that we've experienced and allow space for expression of that is very important in helping people to heal and not feel alone.
0: Mhm. I mean, it must be so devastating having to endure that on a constant basis and still keep the faith. So, how do you keep the faith?
1: Hm. I think that our faith sometimes is the only thing that keeps people standing in moments like that because you can't understand an act like that when someone is willing to take a gun and take someone mm-hmm. else's life. It makes no sense. You can't m- make rhyme or reason of that evil that just took place. And so I think for many of the parents and young people who I've worked with over the years, their faith is what kept them alive mm-hmm. because thoughts of suicide and depression and everything were there in, in front of them, right? And I think that coming to God with our questions, with our anger, with our tears is, is something that allows us to really pour out when we really don't know if we can release how we feel to other people. And I always tell people that God is big enough to handle our big emotions. And so in those moments when we feel alone, when we feel like I don't want to call this person again to cry, you can always, always come to God with your pain.
0: That's true. And it's a safe space where there's no judgment and it's a forgiving, loving God. And so you know that you're always in good hands. Yes, always. Mm -hmm. Now, I wanted to talk to you about your podcast episodes because I understand the work that you do for the community, but we also carry our own troubles and our own emotions as as humans. And I know that you have recently suffered a loss, you know, the loss of your dad, and you've also experienced a breakup, a devastating breakup at that And those things are never easy. I think about these instigating events that lead us to have these traumatic experiences like this breakup and the loss of a a loved one. What would you say were some of the things that you relied on during that time to work through your emotions and process that trauma?
1: Very good question, Marlene. It was a number of things. Uh, as I mentioned in the previous question, I did rely on my faith, my faith community, mm-hmm. and many really heart wrenching conversations with God uh, to pull me out of depression because I was on my way there. And so my prayer time was key. Me putting myself in the Word, reading scriptures was one of the steps I took. But I would be remiss if I did not share how much I relied on my support system my pastor, my friends. And this is coming from someone who is used to being on the other side of trauma and helping people. And people look at me like I have things all together. And when I tell you when certain things hit you, it doesn't matter what your name is, what your credentials are, it can knock you on your face. Yeah. When trauma comes at your front door or grief comes at your front door and you need to take your own advice if you're in a role of serving others and be on the receiving end. And so I had to reach out to friends. And thankfully, because I was very honest and transparent about how much I was hurting, people consistently checked checked up on me as well. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the one thing I will say for my grief, because it was two losses back to back, Complicated things, and you have to grieve each loss separately, you know, on its own, yeah. right? And so, for me, there were moments in which my grief for my father was slightly delayed, but when it hit me, it hit me, and it was very unexpected. I was literally walking into my gym after being gone from the gym for a year due to a number of personal challenges. And as soon as I walked into this familiar space and I saw some of my old friends, it was like the grief was just making a run for it and just exploded out of me. And I was just crying uncontrollably. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, these people are going to be looking at me like, what is wrong with her? Why is she crying? Because we just said hello. Yes, But it wasn't the hello. It was like, it was for me, it was like a safe space for the grief to just come out. Mm -hmm. And so I was crying that whole day. And I didn't realize I was crying the whole day because it was the day before my dad's birthday. And our body remembers, our subconscious remembers. So even though I wasn't trying to focus on the fact that my dad's birthday is tomorrow and this is my first birthday without him, Mm -hmm. my body was like, girl, you grieving and you're going to deal with this grief now. And so for me, I had to give myself grace and understand that people are kind and it's okay to cry in front of other people because you are hurting and in the tears, that's where healing takes place. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And uncried tears can cause so much pain within our bodies. And so Mm -hmm. tears are one of the best forms of healing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've listened to your podcast. I confess I am a fan. (laughs) (laughs) And so I, I love how vulnerable you are on the podcast. And I love that through your vulnerability, you know, you also provide guidance and support for the listeners. I am someone that in my life have struggled with the unwillingness to forgive. And the longer I left it, the more it ran my life. So what advice do you have for the listeners who are struggling to forgive?
1: Yeah, forgiveness is a tough one because it's an act of obedience, but it also is something that is such a process and is not based on the person being right or or wrong. Follow me here. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes when we make the decision to forgive someone, we feel as if, oh, well, that is as if they're me saying that it's okay for what they did. Mm -hmm. No, no, it's not. (laughs) Definitely not. Sometimes what they did was And we, we need to be able to name that they sinned against us, that they hurt us, what they did yeah. was wrong. But the act of forgiveness is releasing, releasing your right to take revenge against that person, releasing them from the prison that you're holding them in in your mind and, and just in and letting God deal with mm-hmm. them. You know, like this is one of those things where I think about so many times in my life, I've been on the other side of needing forgiveness because I've wronged someone. Sometimes I wronged them inten- unintentionally. You know, it was just out of my ignorance that mm-hmm. I did something against them. Sometimes I was in my flesh and I just did something just bogus, as people yeah. used to say, right, to them, to to harm them. And I needed forgiveness, you know, because while we're here on earth, we're going to mess up sometimes. And I think about how if the forgiveness from someone else or let's talk about forgiveness from God. If it was contingent on me you know, being in right stead all the time, then we'd be in a messed up world. For- forgiveness doesn't work like that um, in terms of people always being in a place where they are right, right back and standing with you. And I'm, I'm hoping that I'm, I'm making sense in what I'm describing, mm-hmm. but I will say that sometimes we're looking for a, an apology from a person who we're asking for forgiveness or who we are feeling like we need to forgive. And that person might not be in a place where they are ready to give an apology. They're willing to give an apology. They might think that they're right, mm-hmm. even though you know that they might be wrong. And so again, at some point, we just have to make that decision to forgive. And it it is something that is very difficult to do. It's a process, especially for those deep wounds. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you might think you forgave them and then something comes back up that triggers. Mm -hmm. But I've learned that I I try to give myself grace in those moments and say that, you know, I have to make the decision to forgive them again today Mm -hmm. and release them to God because it's not my responsibility to hold that person in a mental prison because of what they did to me.
0: Yeah. Once you get to a place where you can sort of distance yourself and look at it, find the place for whatever that is in your past, it's such a freeing feeling not to be attached to it anymore. And I think that's also what you're saying. You're saying that, you know, that release, it also sets yourself free. That's beautiful. Yes,
1: it really does. It is a gift uh, that God gives to us as well as a benefit of forgiving because you don't want someone renting space for free in your mind because you're not willing to forgive them. And you know you always hear people talk about that saying when you don't forgive someone is as if you are drinking poison, expecting it to hurt the person that harmed you. And it, it really is it's eating you up. Mm-hmm. And so releasing that person is a huge part that benefits them and you in the process. It doesn't mean, however, that that person doesn't face consequences or are not held accountable for their actions. Sometimes when someone does something like, for example, gun violence or sexual abuse or domestic violence, you can take steps and actions to hold them accountable for their behavior, but it goes beyond just them having a punishment, if you will, because someone can be locked up in jail for what they did to you, but you can still hold them in your mind because you have not Forgiven them. Right. And so making that decision over and over and over again <laughs> is is one that we have to do when we we decide to forgive.
0: Yeah. And like you say, it's a process, but it's so freeing when you get there and you can, you can get yes. there. Yes, for sure. I want to talk about your business, the faith on the journey. Do you want to share with us, where did the idea come from to start this business? Yeah. So
1: <laughs> one thing that I've struggled with over the years is embracing life as a journey. I'm a recovering perfectionist. I still struggle with that sometimes. And so when I've made mistakes, I hadn't looked at it as like, oh, this is a part of the journey. I wanted to get to this destination. I wanted to get to a in perfect stead, right? And Right. Over the years, because of the fact that I struggle with perfectionism, I dealt with a lot of shame. And so God has really had to work on me to help me to embrace life, even my failures, as a part of my journey, this faith journey that I'm on. And my faith is what keeps me moving forward, knowing that God is consistently working on me to make me better, more in His image and likeness. And so faith on the journey is just that. It's encouraging people on this journey of faith. and Initially, I just wanted to start a blog and a podcast to tell stories to encourage people when they're going through difficult seasons in life. And I realized as I was writing testimonies of people uh, who were dealing with challenges that they were really dealing with trauma and they were dealing with a lot of grief and loss. And so over Mm -hmm. time, I said, "Okay, I need to start doing something as a service to help people who've dealt with trauma. And I came across trauma healing groups, which was started by the Trauma Healing Institute. And that's essentially Bible studies that help people to heal from trauma. And we cover subjects like forgiveness and grief and loss and, and what are wounds of the heart, how do trauma affect you? And because it's in such an intimate setting, and we do it online, actually, we're able to connect with people across the country who've also had stories of trauma and grief But we're able to sit with each other in our pain and walk with one another as we process, as we share, as we find hope and healing in a sacred and safe community. And so Mm -hmm. I started doing those healing groups a couple years ago, and they were extremely effective. But as you are aware, sometimes we need one-on-one support. And so I decided I wanted to add a counseling component where individuals can get one-on-one counseling from a Christian counselor who can also walk with them to help them process some of those difficult moments in their lives. And I'm not just talking about moments in the present. Sometimes we've been carrying trauma and the pain of trauma for 10, 20, 30 years since childhood and have never told our story, have never dealt with the pain. And so I wanted to create a space where people can live through their faith, live out their faith, but also address the trauma and grief that they have in their life. And so hence, now we're at a place with our company Faith on the Journey, where we do provide trauma healing groups regularly. We also train church leaders and anyone who has a passion for sharing their faith on how to facilitate trauma healing groups. So we train leaders on how to do that throughout the year. We have classes. We have an upcoming cohort coming up as well, but cohorts are going year round. And then we also um, have a team of Christian counselors who are eager to walk alongside of people.
0: That's fantastic. That's amazing work. Support and healing in community is so important when we had a traumatic experience because one thing that trauma does is it makes you feel very alone, makes you feel isolated, and it makes you feel disconnected from the world. And granted that in those initial days, initial months, probably... You don't want to hear about someone else's experience because, you know, we, we're still processing our own experience at that stage. But I'm so glad that this work that you're doing is available for when there is that opening, when people do become willing to search for help, that the help is available. And I find that healing in community is incredibly helpful because it gives us a different perspective.
1: Yes, 100%. Healing, as you mentioned, happens in community. And you're right. We we don't want to carry this burden of trauma alone. And so I I appreciate everything that you just shared.
0: So when you say that you're dealing with the communities, is there a specific demographic? I know you worked with the youth previously. What is the demographic that you deal with?
1: So we currently only serve adults, so 18 or older. However, in a couple of years, I do hope to expand to youth, uh, but we serve individuals all over the country because our practice is virtual. So irrespective of what type of trauma you have dealt with or what type of grief you are carrying, our counselors are essentially equipped to help you. They specialize in Bible-based trauma-informed care. So essentially that is the trauma-informed, but Mm -hmm. they They approach counseling from a Christian worldview. And so um, we we serve people throughout the country. Awesome.
0: So I was looking at your website and this caught my eye. You say that trauma is an uninvited guest. I'm a cancer survivor and I think of my cancer as an uninvited guest. (laughs) And so (laughs) I agree with you. And then you say that has impacted every member of your congregation. Unfortunately, pastors do not have the capacity to provide the counseling and the support to all the members of the church, right? So you mentioned that you work with the churches and that you do train them. In to become more trauma-informed churches. So what does that practically look like in a church? Because like you say, I mean, the congregations are big and the pastors cannot serve all of that. Do you sort of only train or do you also come alongside and provide ministry to the parishioners?
1: So what we do, we equip the lay leaders of the church to be able to be trauma-informed and to form a trauma-informed ministry, if they like. A trauma-healing ministry is what I call it. And so the initial step is Mm -hmm. just for us to connect with the church leadership, whether it's an associate pastor or the pastor or a lay leader, and say, hey, what do you currently have set up in your church? Some churches have a grief ministry. Some of them have a mental health ministry. But we want to make sure that you have something that specifically deals with trauma and we ask that the church identify at least two members of their congregation to send through an initial training where we walk them through a trauma healing group experience, and then we provide them with some tools, a curriculum in which they can take that back to their church and implement it right away. At a minimum, if they decide that they don't want to start an actual healing group ministry, they'll at least have the basic core principles, methods to be able to sit with people who experience trauma. Because as you're probably aware, sometimes churches perpetuate further trauma because they're not trauma-informed. And so this curriculum helps churches and lay leaders to be able to know how to navigate and support those who experience trauma. We also support churches by encouraging them to have their referral list in place. So we work with them to say, okay, When someone comes through your door and they're a domestic violence survivor and they're ready to transition from a domestic violence situation, that's not when you want to first think about, Okay, who's a referral partner that we can send them to? No, you want to have that information together now for any domestic violence Mm -hmm. situation, sexual violence situation. Who can you send them to for counseling? Because I can tell you one thing, the pastor can't do it all. So. Mm -hmm. there's external resources that the pastor can leverage national organizations, as well as local organizations that can really sit with people and help them navigate those crisis moments. The pastor is only meant to provide some initial pastoral counseling, but they're not, unless they're dual degreed, they're not licensed professionals. They're not someone who specializes in trauma. So you want to be able to refer them to someone who can properly provide them with that care. And so Essentially, to your question, we we look at where the church is at, try to integrate this program and some other resources into their everyday life so they can really have an environment that that provides healing to those who are there. Mm
0: -hmm. Excellent work. Your book. Your book is called Breaking the Power of the Mask, and I love the cover. And I also also love the subtitle of your book, Discover Healing, Freedom, and Joy on Your Journey with God. I thought that was just so apt and so perfect for the journey following a traumatic experience. And I love the cover and the way that you know the you know you you pull that mask away and you see you see behind the mask the shame you see the unwillingness to forgive you see all of those dark emotions written on the person and those are the things that that we hide and i am so guilty of this jocelyn so guilty of building, you know, f- a fake life in order to um, to hide uh, all the pain inside. And I think so many people in, in the world either suppress their emotions, um, shut that door in their mind, refuse to go uh, Anywhere near that door and then build these pretend lives where none of those emotions are essentially processed and, and dealt with. And so pulling back that mask is so important. So I'm so happy that you write that you wrote this book. Um please tell us what more.
1: Sure. I think you did a great summary for that. Thank you. Yes, it's is really just touching on how we have been raised, our culture enforces this idea of us wearing a mask to hide our pain. And so unfortunately, as you were saying, we don't know how to deal with the pain. We run from the pain. We suppress the pain. We bury it in the backyard. We pretend that we're okay. And we have a lot of people pretending that they're okay when they're not. I, you know, we think about our culture and the States where people ask you, how are you doing? And, you know, you, you're supposed to say fine, but imagine if someone said, I'm not doing well. Well, people probably would still walk right by them because people don't know how to deal with pain. And so my book is really focused on helping people to realize at some point in your life you have to remove this mask of strength that you wear where you pretend that things are okay and and actually say, you know what? I'm I'm not okay. That that loss that I experienced years ago, that trauma that I dealt with when I was 6 years old but I was told to keep it a secret, those things have been impacting my life and until I remove the mask of pretending and actually deal with what took place there, I will never heal. And so this book is about encouraging people to recognize they have a mask, find safe spaces, that's crucial, safe spaces to remove the mask so you won't experience further harm. And then once you remove the mask, talk about the process of beginning your healing journey. And I say beginning intentionally because it is a process, a journey towards healing. But if you surround yourself with the right people, the right support with God. Eventually you'll find joy and hope again on your journey. And so that's what this book is about.
0: And so tell me, where can we find your book and where can we follow along? Sure. You
1: can go to Amazon uh, to find the book. It's called Breaking the Power of the Mask. Or uh, if you want to, you can go to my personal website. That's breakingthemask.com and you'll be able to find different formats of the book there.
0: Okay, excellent. I'll also link it in the show notes so that the listeners can find it quite easily. Do you have any last words of inspiration that you can leave the listeners with today? I just
1: want to share with someone, if you're really in a dark season right now, that just hold on. It will not always stay dark. There's hope. There's help available. There's people who are willing to get down in the dirt with you. But As we're talking about with the mask, you have to allow people to see you vulnerable. Uh, You don't have to go through life pretending that you're okay when you're not. Reach out, get help. There's no shame. Listen to this grief counselor here, Jocelyn, when I'm telling you there's no shame in needing help because we all need it. And so just reach out, know that you are loved and you're going to be okay.
0: Thank you, Jocelyn. That is great advice and wise words. Thank you for connecting and for sharing your message with us today and for everyone listening needing to hear what you had to say. You know, I think that it's divinely guided, it's at the right place, it's at the right time, and whoever needs to hear this this message will find them. I'm really excited to see where your ministry takes you and what else we can expect. I mean, the work that you're doing is incredible, and I love that it is centered around the faith and centered around the journey back to God right? Um, Because even even if we talk about the journey back to self, it is essentially the journey back to God because that's who we are. We are made in the image of God. And so thank you so much for the work that you do. You're amazing.
1: (laughs) Thank you, Marlene. You're amazing too. Thank you for this platform and how you're sharing stories of hope to encourage people. Thank you so much for having me.
0: It's been an absolute pleasure. Take care. Bye that wraps up this podcast episode thank you for listening if you enjoy my podcast please take a minute to give me a rating and review in apple podcasts please subscribe in your favorite podcast directory so you don't miss an episode please consider following my Centered life on facebook and instagram for daily inspiration thank you so much for spending this time with me you can catch me again in the next episode same time same place sending you lots of love and light Bye.